If you like to be prepared, you can have your Bibles open to the book of Titus. This is where we'll be this morning. The book of Titus. Uh, and we understand that as the apostles uh, fulfilled their ministries, it led to the establishment of churches. And uh, we know that those churches were established by the preaching of the gospel. And oftentimes, uh, they needed some follow-up support, right? And, and the great example of that is in Acts chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. Uh, and you can, If you read Acts 14, verses 1 through 23, you'll see this, uh, this idea and this thought. Uh, but in Acts 14, in verses 21 through 23, it gives an example of this. And it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in the, every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And so we have this examples of the, the, the apostles and those going around preaching the gospel and churches were being established. And so they often followed up confirming those things and exhorting or encouraging the believers there and then ordaining leaders uh, to be in those places. And that's what brings us to the book of Titus this morning. Uh, we're going to go through the book of Titus over the next, uh, I think, several weeks. Um, but we'll have an introduction uh, on the book. I have 10 pages of notes this morning. We're not going to get through them all uh, as I started, but I, I, I went through these. And Friday I was trying to find a good cutoff point, And then uh, again yesterday and then even this morning I thought, man, I need to find a good place to close this out because uh, we're the bell's going to kick me out of here uh, so we won't get through all my notes um, I don't know if I have two or three uh, Sunday school classes worth of notes here this morning but we're going to pack a lot in and my my goal in going through the book of Titus is just to encourage us um, did you know we're at all different stages there's old women in here there's young women there's old men, and listen, the book of Titus deals with all those categories. It, uh, certainly it talks about the, uh, the requirements of a bishop and, and those in leadership, but it targets those things, and when we think about confirming the churches and, or encouraging the churches and ordaining, and obviously we have our pastor, right, Pastor Brooks, and I'm not saying we're going to vote on a new pastor, but we're going to go through some of these teachings in a hope to be an encouragement uh, to us because I think sometimes uh, in the Christian life and in church, we get out of sync with what God intended. Every single one of us has a ministry here. And in this book, and not just this one, uh, God lays that out for the younger, for the older. And it doesn't say because you have a position, you've been appointed something. You have some certain responsibilities uh, that God has given us. And so that's my hope. Um, <clears throat> the apostles uh, didn't always follow up themselves, though. Right? Timothy... Uh, he left Timothy in Ephesus in, in 1 Timothy 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope unto Timothy, my son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. But in our book today, Titus 1, 5, it says, For this cause left I thee in Crete. And so we're going to see today that the apostle Paul left Titus 
in Crete for some specific things. And so we are going to learn what is expected for churches to become established. Not that our church isn't established, but as we look back in, in the early part of the church and how these things were very foundational to what they were doing. And so with that in mind, we're going to begin this lesson on Titus, or series of lessons, I guess we should say, uh, beginning with an introductory thought this morning. And like I said, the introduction might take two, maybe three weeks. Um, so, but if you would, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. We're going to read the first four verses, uh, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer and look at what God has for us today. It says here, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord. It's uh, what a joy it is to be in your house, to set aside the cares of, of the world and, and the things that we'll be facing this week, Lord, just to take a few moments and to look at you and your word. And I pray that you'd speak in, uh, to each and every heart here today, that you'd move in lives and that each one would leave this place more like Christ. Now, Father, we pray for your blessing upon uh, the teachers throughout this facility. Lord, we ask that you would just uh, fill them with your spirit, use them in a mighty way as the word of God is taught. And I pray, Lord, for those that are listening today, that they would be attentive and receptive to whatever you have for them. And we'll give you the glory for all of it. Lord, bless our church. Help us to be more like Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, with the idea of, of Paul writing this to Titus... It, well, uh, verse 5, it says, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. And so certainly at any given time, there's things in a church that are wanting. And so in this study, I'm not saying that our church is, is off the rails or anything. That's not what I'm saying. But certainly in our Christian lives, there are things at times that we need to work on. I know I haven't arrived. The Apostle Paul that penned this letter to Titus, by his own omission, said that he had not apprehended. He hadn't arrived. He wasn't there. So uh, if individually none of us have arrived, then collectively as a church, certainly there's some things that are wanting, uh, that may be lacking in our Christian lives. And so uh, that's the idea as I prepare to, to go through this study. And boy, I wanted to avoid some things, and you'll see here in a moment, uh, what I'm talking about, uh, because it's a challenging subject. And I, I don't know if I consumed too much of my time this week with it, or in the last couple of weeks maybe, um, but pray for me as we go through this. Um, but the author of the epistle, anybody know? Paul, you, you, guys, you guys were paying attention when we read this, right? Paul, a servant of God, right? So the Apostle Paul, it's pretty obvious, he's the, the writer, um, but one of the things that I, I, I was thinking about as I was preparing this, I love that God takes Saul of Tarsus, changes his life, and it makes him a, an apostle. Somebody that goes and now, he was persecuting the church, right? He was the persecutor of the church. God changes his life, and now here he is establishing churches and training young men uh, in the ministry. Uh, what an exciting thing. 
And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, of this way whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So this is the man that God is using now to help encourage believers. And what a testament to God's amazing power to change a life. Uh, we certainly do uh, serve an amazing God. Uh, listen, He can take the worst of us and do abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And so this morning, if, if you don't feel like God can use you, I want to assure you He can. God uses murderers. I'm amazed at when you look at the history of some of our heroes of the faith, the things that they did, boy, they're unbelievable almost. But God could change their life and use them for his glory. And what a blessing it is. And if it's true in their life, it's certainly true in ours today. I know I certainly don't deserve to serve God. But we are qualified by him. Uh, so don't let anybody discourage you from serving. Uh, we serve an amazing God. He can do anything. But have you surrendered to Him? Uh, does your life belong to Him? To use as He sees fit. That's the difference. The Apostle Paul was converted, of course, we know on the road to Damascus, but then he gave his life to Jesus Christ to use as he saw fit. Uh, we need to be careful, and sometimes we just need to be reminded we are a living sacrifice. We need to refresh that in our minds occasionally. Lord, use me. Uh, it's not my life, but yours. And he, he was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. But let's look at his self-identification this morning. Verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. So he identifies himself as a servant. Uh, He's a slave, a bondservant. James does this. James, a servant of God uh, and of the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Peter does it as well. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that obtained like precious, precious faith. Uh, Jude even does it. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. And so Paul here is letting everyone know that he's a servant. Boy, how can we learn a lesson of humility? And what I submit to you to this morning, this is much further along in the ministry of the apostle than the early days when he's writing this to Titus. This isn't the beginning of his ministry. And so by this point, no doubt he's been in the ministry. He's established some things. And how contrary it is into our society and oftentimes into our realm or the church of our stripe where we get to this point where we are referred to as doctor so-and-so. Listen, I'm not criticizing anybody that has an education, but what I am saying is, what's more important, your education level and your status in society or the fact that you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and Almighty God? Where are we placing our emphasis? Again, I'm not being critical of those that, uh, that have achieved, I mean, especially if it's an earned doctorate. That's one thing to get an honorary one. Come on, let's be honest here. But if you actually earn the thing, it's, it's notable, I would say. You know, the Air Force recognized me because I got an associate's degree, and when I got a bachelor's degree, they gave me some, some love for that. But the reality is, what's important in our life? Um, and now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be students. 
we ought to be students of the word and, and, and studied and prepared. Uh, but the Apostle Paul, I think, gives us a great ex- example of somebody that could have. We do know his pedigree. We do know where he came from. And he reco- that's recorded in Scripture. But we must understand the context of why he did that. Those were those that were being critical and doubting and all those things. And he was validating some things. But what I want to tell you this morning is what's important in life? Your status in society or the fact that you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? We would do well to esteem ourselves simply as servants. We would, that would do us well, do us good, uh, just to identify ourselves as servants. But he does say he's an apostle. Uh, <clears throat> the word apollos, apostolos, I, I guess maybe it would be pronounced more accurately, uh, a delegate, a messenger, or someone sent forth with orders. And so we, we know that he was sent forth from God. He is an apostle. Uh, but listen, he's an apostle chosen by the Lord. We're not self-appointing our, ourselves to these positions. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, Galatians 1.1. So this is something God had placed upon him. Uh, and, and certainly we, could, uh, we should be thankful for any position that God would give us. Uh, listen, but I want you to understand God calls and qualifies his servants. The Bible college doesn't do that. The seminary doesn't do that. God does that. And, and I want you to understand today, because and maybe this is just special to me, because I struggled with it for years. I felt like as a young person, I need to go to Bible college. And God just didn't give me peace about that. And he led me to the Air Force. And even every time I had to re-enlist in the Air Force, I wanted to get out and go to school so I could get a degree. And God just never gave me peace about that. I never had peace. And I had so, I can't tell you, countless number of people said, Hey, if, if this is where God wants you, just be content, and maybe God will use that in the future so you can work in the ministry. They were prophets, and they didn't know it. I had no idea what God was doing, and that's exactly what happened. I can do what I do now because the Air Force is behind me, and, and, and praise God for the, the medical care and things that my family benefits from, and, and some of the care that I don't have to worry myself about, and I can focus on other things. And, and so, but listen... If God is calling you, there is timing in the matter as well. Uh, so don't rush it. But, and again, I'm not being critical of school. If you need to go to school, go to school. I'm thinking about picking up some classes here soon. I just don't think I'll have time for it. That's why I haven't. But anyway, bottom line is don't hold yourself back because you do not think God can use you. If God's working in your life, if God's working in your heart, he's the one that can qualify you to do what he wants you to do. It doesn't need to come from, uh, from, from some outer source. Uh, listen, the Apostle Paul wasn't immediately received by people. So even if they're naysayers, even people, well, I don't know, boy, you probably should go to college. You're not so smart, you know. Or, or there are those people that are being critical of where you're at in life. Listen, they didn't accept the Apostle Paul right away, partly because of his past. He did persecute the church. Uh, Acts... 926, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They didn't believe that. Like, how is this guy? No way. This guy. He persecuted the church. He was there at the death of, death of Stephen. What, what, what? No, we can't let this guy infiltrate. This is a spy. I don't know what the conspiracies were at the day or at the time, but the reality is they resisted him because of his background. Listen, People might 
be against you and opposed to you. But if God has worked in your life and God has called you, you need to go forward anyway. But here's a good thought as well. In verse 27 of Acts chapter 9, it says, But Barnabas took him. Be a Barnabas. Boy, when you see a young person uh, in Christ, maybe they're old, but they're young in Christ, put your arm around them. Encourage them. It says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostle and declared unto him how he had seen the Lord in the way and he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Listen, don't be discouraged by those laggards or doubters. Doubters. If God called you, obey. And he can work the things out, the details. Trust him. Trust him. And listen, for those of us that are here today, just be a Barnabas. Be an encouragement. Be a help to those. Sometimes it can feel lonely when you walk into a church. And listen, praise God, God brings people to our congregation frequently. And we want those people to feel welcomed. And so encourage them. Maybe Not because they're going in the ministry. Now, if they're going in the ministry, encourage them there too. But what I'm saying, just be an encouragement that they would walk with God. And live the life that God intended them to be. Uh, be an encouragement to them. And so Paul gives his reason uh, for his service to the Lord and, and his apostleship. And he says this, he states that he is a servant and apostle according to the faith of God's, excuse me, elect. And here's where, if you'll bear with me, uh, I'm not a scholar I'm not a theologian, but I do have some thoughts on the matter of God's elect. And I, I've put in uh, some time here. And um, <clears throat> so we come to this question, what is God's elect? And I'm sure if we were to go around the room this morning, there's different thoughts on the matter. And there's different ideas and, and things on what, or maybe even we might all be in agreement about some things, but maybe you understand the disputes that take place over this, this idea of God's elect. I said, um, <clears throat> does God choose some to have faith and come to the knowledge of the truth and others to just be passed by is one of the thoughts out there. Uh, and so certainly this is a challenging teaching to communicate. And there's many much smarter scholars that have written volumes upon volumes uh, about this subject. I do not suppose I have the response or answer that will satisfy scholars and theologians to settle the discussion. I'm not going to say that I'm that person that's going to... I'm just going to solve everybody's questions and after this we can all agree. I don't think that that's the case. And because if you read about some of this stuff and some of the things that are out there, you can understand why people come to the conclusions that they're looking at. You can see, oh, well, that's a... I can see their argument. But what about this side of it? And so... Um, and I certainly, listen, this morning, I don't want to get bogged down here. Uh, uh, and listen, this is a brief introductory comment in the book of Titus. It's in one verse of total of 46 verses in the book, I believe, if my, count, my math is, is good. It, and so for us to bog down on this one thought, I, I don't, it's certainly not my desire. But as I was preparing, I didn't want to just avoid the the term God's elect here. I thought that would be uh, unwise. And I, I actually received a phone call this week and, and I was studying. It was a, a preacher friend of mine and, and I said, hey, he had some questions for me and, 
And I said, hey, I got a question for you. And I asked him about this. And we were on the phone, and him and I have a very similar thought on this. Um, but he shared some things with me in different discussions he's had with other preachers. And I'm not going to name names on purpose, but um, I just found it interesting because people are consuming themselves with this. And so my hope today is I, I, I can give you a concise answer that satisfies me in the matter. I'm not saying it's, it's definitely not going to be the deepest study you'll ever experience on this, but it, it satisfies me. And it, for me, I can settle it in my mind that I feel like I understand what it's talking. Because if you start talking about predestination and election and God's chosen and the foreknowledge of God and all these things, you could get in a boxing match with some of these preachers just because of the way that they hold to their, to their, to their side of the argument. Uh, so I don't want to get bogged down, down here. And so I'll give this concise thoughts on this and what I believe the Bible teaches on the matter. Because when you start studying, there's a lot of what I have decided to call theology terminology. There's all these educated guys out there using words that aren't in the Bible. And that's a problem for me. Um, I'm trying to memorize all these things. And then when you start looking at they define it differently than this guy that's writing about the same subject. I'm like, what? wait a second here. I, so what does the Bible say? Um, <clears throat> certainly we have to reason with our own minds. God gave us a mind. Um, but the first thing I want you to understand is we must understand that God is infinite. And when he commutes things about himself and his word to us, we can only examine it through our finite minds. So are you picking up what I'm putting down? certainly we can't begin to understand everything about God. Some people would like to think they do. And the way that they propose their argument so strongly, they have convinced themselves that they've got this thing figured out. But uh, I dare say they don't. But And so just a thought here, look at verse 3. But hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of... Or, well, that's not the right one. Was that verse 3? No, that's not the right verse. Oh, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. Look at this statement. Promised before the world began. So these are things that God has foreknowledge on. He's ordained before the world began. That in itself ought to blow our mind. To think, how do we think we will begin to understand something that was here before the world existed? So that just ought to settle in our mind that we cannot fully comprehend everything there is to know about God and, and how he works. And uh, I know for me it does. So, But the reality is a lot of these folks, they begin to make deductions and they draw conclusions based on things that they see and then they make arguments on that and we need to be very careful about that. Uh, look, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Uh, the reality is there are scriptures that can be hard to fully comprehend. That's just the truth. And often folks want to draw conclusions and they want to do all these different, make deductions. Well, this is that. When the scripture doesn't say it, and they need to be very careful because often unbiblical teachings begin to develop from those things. But secondly, I reject the idea that God has elected some to salvation and some to hell. I reject that idea. And I know that that's not what some people would not agree with that. And I understand that. But I cannot resolve some scripture 
that would lead me when it says, for God so loved the world, I just, I can't resolve some of these things in my mind that God has already decided and ordained that this one goes to hell, this one I love, so this one goes to, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense with some of the scriptures that you read. And, and so, and again, a lot of people, they'll draw the conclusion, well, the world there is God's elect. If you're honest with the text, and you're honest with that scripture, you cannot come to that conclusion. You, you certainly cannot. And so we need to be very careful about where we do. But for God so loved the world, that is all of mankind, all people, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we're just going to look at a couple verses. But you should be able to look at those verses and go, Wow. That resolves, for me, the fact that everybody has an opportunity to be saved. There isn't anybody that God has not offered salvation to. There were not some special people that get it and others that don't. I don't think you can resolve that. I don't think you can come to that conclusion. And so to say the world means an elect few in this passage is just not honest with the context of the Scripture, in my mind. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we're just going to mention a few this morning. These passages are clear to me that whosoever may come. Whosoever. Not just a, a, a chosen few or a select few. And, and a lot of those people insert that there. Well, that's based on these people that were chosen. Well, that's not there. That, that's not in what the Bible says. And it's not in the context of it uh, either. So we need to be careful. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. And I quote, He was asked how we reconcile God's sovereign will and man's true will or responsibility. He famously replied this, I never have to reconcile, friends. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility have never had a falling out with each other. I do not need to reconcile what God has joined together. End quote. And I understand some people might think of, and you mentioned Charles Spurgeon, and some people say, well, he has this argument or that argument, and I understand that, but I agree with his quote, this particular quote, whether you want to study all of his, his theology in, in those things, you can, and you might not agree with him on everything, even in this topic, but I agree with that quote. They're, they're, uh, they're joined together, and we don't need to necessarily reconcile it. <clears throat> The Bible doesn't put human will at odds with divine sovereignty in Scripture. I, 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 don't, I don't see that anywhere. As if only one of these can be real. It simply upholds both concepts as valid. Man has a genuine will and is responsible, and God is sovereign over all things, even over the will of man. Uh, two biblical examples here I'll share with you this morning. John chapter 6. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But if you would like to, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but John chapter 6 are some examples of this. Uh, <clears throat> this is what Jesus said. All that my Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. On the one hand, you have the divine sovereignty of God on full display. Everyone to a person who comes to Jesus has been given to Jesus by the Father that unmistakably points to the sovereign will of God. Yet, all that the Father gives Jesus will come to him. 
They come to Jesus. That's critical. They come. They're not dragged to Jesus. Their will is not trampled. They come to Jesus. And that is an act of that person's free will. So there, there's an example. And here's another one. Uh, Genesis chapter 50. Uh, this is a good one to consider. And it reads, But as for you, ye thought it evil against me. But God meant it unto good. To bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Very well-known passage. We all uh, read that and, and some of us quote that. Uh, and in the context of that, Jacob has died and Joseph's brother come to him to ensure their safety uh, with the hopes that Joseph doesn't take revenge on them. Right? If you're familiar with that account, uh, based on the betrayal of, of years prior of them selling him, and Joseph's reply uh, uphold both the divine sovereignty of God and the human will in this one response. It's amazing. And both of these concepts were embedded into a single act. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? There, there's God's will here, in, in, or there's God's sovereignty in the, in, the, in the will. The brother acted with evil intent. The scripture tells us that. They acted with evil intent. Towards Joseph. It proves that they have a genuine act or that it was of their volition. They chose that. But God meant the very same act for good. You see that? They made a decision. They acted. God was sovereign in acting in the brother's actions. So they made a decision of their own volition. But God was sovereign in, he, uh, in, their, in acting in their actions. So, the sovereignty of God and, and the will of man, or the, the freedom of choice, we might say, uh, there is no verses between the two that need to be reconciled, in my mind. Right? They are difficult for our minds to reconcile, but that is owing to our finite li limitations, not to any true tension in the Scriptures. So, what's the bottom line? And this might be the real questions uh, theologians ask or maybe need to ask. Is it will, whether a man's will is genuine or whether God is sovereign? Here's the real question is which is ultimate in salvation? Which one is ultimate in salvation there? God or man? Uh, is it God's will or man's will ultimate? And the answer to that question for me is clear. It's God's will is ultimate, not man's. Let me explain. Because some people might say, oh boy, I see this guy's argument. He's nuts, especially in our stripe of church. Let me explain. Because <clears throat> people will say, but, but how can God's will be ultimate and our will still be genuine in the matter? That doesn't make sense. I think the answer is that left alone, Left alone, none, none of us would come to Jesus by faith. Because our sin and, and the depravity of it and our spiritual deadness and our fallen condition, all of us would reject Jesus Christ. We wouldn't see the gospel as compelling or even see ourselves as helpless and in need of saving. But God, in His grace, 
according to his sovereign will, intervenes. He intervenes. He doesn't squash our will. He opens our eyes and thereby gives us new desires. By, what, or by his grace, we begin to see the gospel as our only hope. And Jesus as our Savior. And so we come to Jesus by faith. And in that process, God is ultimate. God has designed salvation. Verse 2, before the world began, God put this in place. And we can talk about the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. and all. I don't want to bog us down in this study, but I didn't want to avoid it either. And the one verse that really helps me understand this teaching is this. We love Him because He first loved us. So when we understand our sinful condition and we understand that God loved us so much that he would make a way, that he would send his son Jesus Christ to die in our place, that we can now choose to be saved. I don't know where you all stand on the matter, but I think for me, that settles it. I don't have to bog myself down and, and I'll probably read some more on it, but i got a couple books in the office. But what I'm telling you is don't consume yourself with stuff that isn't there. What does the Bible say? And it's clear to me that the Bible says, For whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world. And, and don't bog yourself down in these other thoughts. And, and certainly I would say be careful on the things that you do read. Because it can just create... Uh, uh, confusion in your mind. And, and so certainly more can be said here, but what I would say is, does it need to be? There's a lot of contention, and, and the person I talked to uh, earlier this week, I can't remember what day it was, he said this is probably one of the number one questions when I'm around preachers that always comes up, is this discussion. And he said, I've resolved in my mind that there are things that I may not be able to explain to certain individuals, but he said, I know based on the, 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 the verses that I understand that God is willing to save anyone. Uh, and he has not chosen anyone to go to hell. <clears throat> and, it, and that opens up other arguments, but we don't need to, I'm not going to labor us there. And so, because really, one of the, as we close today, we're not even going to get as far as I thought we were, but as we close today, one of the things I want you to be very careful about, those people that think that God has selected some to be saved and others not to be, it's really just an excuse not to share the gospel. It, it gives them a pass to where I don't have to preach the gospel. I don't have to share Christ with anybody because God's going to pick these people and those people regardless of what I do. And why would God say go preach the gospel? Uh, and that's in our text here too. Paul, the Apostle Paul says he's been given uh, the command to preach the gospel. And so um, <clears throat> he was commanded to preach the gospel, the Apostle Paul says. Why does God need to send preachers if, he, if those people are just going to get saved regardless? Anyway, I don't want to try to bog our minds down in those things. The Apostle Paul was commanded to preach. Christian believer, hear me well this morning. You also are commanded to preach. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son. Look at what it says. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. He's giving them a command to preach. So they're to go teach them that you ought to preach as well. So this is a perpetual thing that goes on and on over and over. It's not just about reaching one person and then you're done. It's about reaching one person and that person reaches one. And we're all multiple, all of us are multiplying ourselves because we're, we're continually preaching the gospel. And what an encouragement. He's going to be with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You can't resolve these. In my mind, I can't resolve these things with salvation being a free gift offered to all. It just doesn't fall in place with uh, some of those that have uh, a belief in predestination or election, whatever term you want to use. And so the Apostle Paul was a preacher of the gospel by the commandment of God. Verse 3, it says this, and uh, is, well, let's read the whole verse. But hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, right? His word, we're talking in the context of verse 2, it says eternal life, God promised us before the world began, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. And so listen this morning, if you didn't pay attention to anything I said, and I get it, right? I'm not the most eloquent teacher. I may not have presented my argument the best you could. But what I am telling you this morning, you have a command from Almighty God to preach the gospel. Amen. There is no excuse not to preach the gospel. Those around us are lost. They need a Savior. Yep, that's right. We need to be faithful to be preachers of the gospel. And again, you don't have to have some position. You don't have to have an ordination. You don't have to have a seminary or a Bible college degree to do that. You just need to be able to tell what God did in your life. Boy, listen, I was lost in sin. And I turned to Christ and he saved me. Let's pray.